Welcome to our Spiritual Resilience Podcast with Reverend Rich Taffel, a transformative leader and executive coach in areas of public policy, social change, and spiritual entrepreneurship. We understand that today's life and social challenges require a more holistic approach, including spiritual tools, thoughtful dialogue, and of course, community building. Join us in the conversation. So in a few words about Ina, uh, as I mentioned before, she is a friend and a colleague from the George Washington University, uh, currently serving as a director of executive education and coaching at GW Center for Excellence in Public Leadership. Uh, she is an organizational development professional and an ICF certified coach trained through New Ventures West Coaching School. And you've got to experience a little bit of the practices uh, that she runs through her through the coaching experience. Um, Ina uh, is certainly well experienced in working in multicultural environments and believes in the power of the language as an orientation to life, change, and growth. Uh, she holds a master's in human development and an uh, MPS in political management, and is currently pursuing a doctorate in education from the George Washington University. On top of her many other uh, accomplishments, uh, she's fluent in Albanian. Uh, she's a native of uh, Albania. English, Italian, and with working knowledge of some French. Uh, she loves working with women groups, women leaders, uh, especially entrepreneurs who are in transition. And her passion is to work individually with people who have openness for learning and are curious. Uh, she likes to see herself as an enabler of growth and a society that is in full awareness goodness and gratitude. So on that note, we're so grateful to have you with us, Ina. Uh, and I would love to have you introduce yourself in a few words because I just read a standard bio, but please share with us uh, who you are. Wow, that's a, that's a big question, Katerina. Um, <laughs> who am I? Um, you know, the first thing that comes when you say that, it makes me think of, and this is um, more of kind of a recent, recent discovery, but uh, I think of the, the mystical teacher Gurdjieff, and um, he's one of the founders also of the today's, what we call the Enneagram, or what's known as the wisdom of the Enneagram. And he went and traveled through the world and studied all kinds of um, spiritual ways of being and knowing and transformed himself and he went into this quest with this key question who am i and that's that's what he would ask and he would land and he would spend times in uh different communities one of which was the sufi tradition and where he spent time into really understanding and learning the movement and the dance and so when you when i receive that question of who am i um, I think in this moment, um, I feel I am the person who 
um, who wants to, who's immersed and and it's um, it's living in this question of knowing and the one that I opened up the meditation with. Um, how do we know when we know? And my focus on that is to bring forth more of my own knowing, um, my direct knowing, and other ways of knowing in which we might not be so uh, moved to do, particularly in institutionalized forms like in education, in academia. So how do we bring forth more of our other forms of intelligence? Um, I think in your, in some of the, the lessons, just reading a little bit of Swedenborg, he talks about interior perception and how we come to be in contact with our own body, with our own sense of knowing and breath. In a traditional education system, these are still places and spaces that we've, we're shying away from. We're not um, accepting as us. And yet there are so many um, other ways and forms of knowing and traditions that can actually bring forth, who've always been here, but they have been swiped apart for many reasons, this whole idea of separation of body-mind. Um, I really, in this time, I'm moving from a space and a place that um, in many wisdom traditions thinking, I'm thinking, for example, the native Americans. I talked to one of my professors once and he, uh, he's a Navajo and, he's, and I said to him, what do you mean by wholeness? What is your sense and the question around? And Katarina, I'm kind of moving with that question too. And he said, well, there's two things. Everything has been here before. Everything exists. It's always been here. And two is that um, everything is connected. Those are two foundational beliefs, two foundational um, elements in our worldview that we hold. And we see more and more of this because we all are native to some land. We're all native somewhere. And doesn't have to be just the land, but we're native to our ancestral wisdom, connecting to our own ancestral wisdom. We're native to our own belief system. So we, each of us belongs to the earth, belongs to something greater, um, to that sense of oneness. And so, you know, Carolyn Miss uses the language, all life breathes together. And, and she studied... For years and years, she studied the human body with medical doctors and, and so on. And she's come to believe that this is foundational, especially to the times that we consider the time that we're living. Um, and bearing a young psychologist who's almost 92 now, when you ask her and you say, what is, what is essential in the times that we're living? And she can say this now, but and she says that because I can say it. She says, we all need to come back to spirit, to that connection to spirit. I mean, it's as simple and so essential. And yet, um, the, uh, there is not enough 
breathing, if I'm using this now as a metaphor, in the spaces, whether our academia or government. Um, and I think language, Katarina introduced the idea of language in, in, my, in my introduction. Um, language is important because uh, for our society provides an articulations of what we mean. So they become like starting points. And yet the way humans um, got to communicate in the early in the early ages, they did not communicate with language. It was a lot of it was nonverbal. You think of the um, the uh, tribe of the mamas, they keep their children in the dark until the age of nine because they want to develop these capabilities of deep, deep knowing so they, they can be the right healers for the earth. So all of this to say that coming back to our original knowing, to our in the womb quality of knowing, and Katarina, one other thing that I want to bring in that it, and I'm very keen on is connecting to children and really being paying attention not only to support them, but to actually work with children as our, as our own teachers. Children's way as a way of knowing, because they're much closer to that pure sense of embodiment. They are their pure embodiment in so many ways. And so, and then we grow up and we become adults and we lose our sense of uh, playfulness and joy and there's other reasons for that but that's that's it for for a start well to follow up on that uh, can you share with us your personal journey of reclaiming wholeness as, as we talked about so mm -hmm. um, where were you how it came how does it show up for you in yeah environment? yeah well I'm still in that journey. <laughs> I think as, a, as I move through it, it becomes more refined. You know, I, I don't drink wine, but it's kind of like the, the wine connoisseurs. They, uh, if you give me a glass of wine, I'll say it's red wine. If you give it to my husband, he'll say, it's uh, this kind of this place and that place, the nuance matters. So I become more discerning, that's what I mean. I've become more discerning and I have better um, understanding and knowings in which I can distinguish. I see this is the place where I'm in now. I see I can move more into this. So it really builds my sense of power, my sense of inner power, selfless sort of power. Um, and so uh, I, I grew up in Albania. I was born and raised there. I moved to United States when I was um, about 21, 22 years old. And uh, I came here to continue my studies. Um, in Albania, growing up, I spent a lot of time in, the, in nature. Um, my grandparents lived in the mountains. Uh, we lived in the city, but cities of that time were a lot quieter and was the kind of place where you play, children play outside, you're all day out. There's no coordinating play dates or things like that. It's quite more spontaneous. And um, the time in the mountains, however, was significant for me. Um, I got to be more in the wild and, and be in the community. And, um, 
and commune with plants in a way that then I did not have language for. I just thought that these things that would show up were in my imagination. Like I remember one day next to this plum tree in our front yard um, in the communal garden, not really a front yard. I just remember rising my head and telling my friends, wait, do you see that sword like right out there? Can you see? And it's playful. And my, they're like sort of, I have no idea what you're saying. I was in my own world that way. Fast forward, uh, being in the United States, you know, I really was longing for community, that sense of belonging. Okay, where is where am I? What is mine to do? What is mine to be? I move through life pretty fast. And in this country, things can be quite fast if you let them. Um, it's good sometimes to go back into the village or back into the quieter spaces. Um, so Rich, I know that's a nice thing for you to be in the cabin. I think it's, it's, it's no more a luxury, it's a must to, do, to, 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 to slow life down. And uh, the rhythm rather than life, life flows anyway. And so uh, coming to United States, I you know, did so much was happening in my life school, one degree and another degree. And um, I got married and I had this, I had a baby, my son, all of it, my parents in and out. So it was just so much going on in life at that time. And I had lost what I've come to, to call as divine discontent. You know, there was a moment of divine discontent just happening. And then you just break down your body can no longer keep up with your mind and your soul and your spirit and everything gets out of whack and so at that moment everything for me happened there were circumstances in which things happened it was a big shift at that point in how I started to take in life because I was forced to slow down for almost nine months I couldn't work the way I was used to work. I was impatient and I had to become patient again. Um, and I had to learn that uh, this body <laughs> requires rest and requires time and that uh, my mind needed to be tamed in many ways. And so um, it was not easy. Uh, I was not used to asking for help. That was a big thing. Um, so I had to ask for help. I worked at that time with a somatic therapist, and that was quite a blessing because um, he really helped me. Uh, his foundational teaching was that um, consciousness, everything was based on consciousness and awareness and that the field of awareness is our teacher was the foundation of his teaching and so I stepped into that place in that field and it was only then that I started connecting back to those things that I had been witnessing in my childhood and seeing that oh this wasn't an imagination it was another sensorial capacity that it was in me that I had not been able to align. I had not recognized. It was striped away. I did not have the right guidance and the right teachers to show me. And it's okay. I had to also learn that that was okay because um, it was a lot of forgiveness that needed to happen because we do the best we can do to our own ability of that at that time. At that came 
that became another foundational practice for me, which was the loving kindness practice. And particularly one line in the loving kindness that says, may all beings be happy and may they learn what they need to know as easy as possible. That was so critical for me because I was also holding a lot. Boundaries were an issue. Everything was impacting me and I felt that I needed to take care of things. And so to learn to discern, no, that's not mine to do, but I could still take in the, the, the burden. I could take it in, but I'd learn to metabolize it. So I didn't bring it in my own body. I could transmute, shift it, and send it, send it love back, which goes back to the idea of form. Or think about um, inspirare, inspire, inspirare, the breath, right? It goes in. It's a form of transformation or information. We bring it in. We move it. And then something else moves out, moves out in a form of whatever the intention is that you're, you're engaging in. But it's the same matter. It's the same matter, you know, the alchemist turned lead into gold. It's the same principle, the same idea of mind and matter. Mind and matter matter. They do matter together. It's your intention means everything. And so that was important. Another piece that became quite important was, and this was an episode one day, my husband and I were driving, we were going to my functional doctor. That's another thing I learned. You know, our medicine, our healthcare system does not support you in this journey of wholeness because they want to pigeonhole you to put you in, you got anxiety, take these pills. And I was super committed not to do that. I just knew it. And I never took one single pill. And I don't say that as a victory, but I knew there was another way. It just, my knowing was very strong on that. And so um, this functional doctor was an hour away, but took insurance. And I remember we would go through the, through this trip quite often. And one day I, looking at this beautiful chicory i don't know if you know the chicory plants they're this baby blue small flowers and they're in, primarily in the wild and they grow a lot on the side of the roads i have no idea why but that's where they find you find them often and i'm there and i hear this and it came to me as a clear hearing and and i'd never received that before and it was the clear hearing was all is well and I turned and I said to my husband, did you hear that? And he's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I said, did you hear all as well? And he said, no, I did not hear that. But did you hear it? And I said, I did. And I said, and it came from the chicory. And, it, and again, my husband grew up as Catholic. And then uh, he, he moved, he was, he's Italian. He moved from Italy and from his Catholic family many years ago. And so he's like, I don't, don't tell me those kinds of stories. That just not for me. And so that moment on, I became so connected to plant and earth and nature. I reclaimed, it was a remembering of that same connection that I had lost, which was it was no, no magic in that. The magic is that you're able to see and discern. And sometimes, unfortunately, we're pushed into those circumstances. And my hope 
in this lifetime is that um, there's better ways so we don't go into uh, into collapsing <laughs> so that we can actually do better prevention. Uh, all health has to be preventive. Uh, we don't have to go into as, as much as possible. And there's a lot of work there uh, to be done. But I, in the course of my healing, that intense period of healing, I had more than a hundred of plants come and talk to me. And, and, and for every time I needed something, I would close my eyes and I would feel their presence and I would get exactly the medicine that I needed. And the one last line, Katarina, and I'll give it back to you is that um, I also work with a lot of different healers. I worked with bioenergy healers. I worked with um, uh, medical intuitives. And so there was a whole myriad of other territory that opened up for me. And by the end of this, maybe nine months to a year-ish, returning back to work, things did not feel the same. Um, I felt a lot more connected to my own self. And I thought, I think that made a difference in the work as well. I'll, I'll stop there because I think I've, I've talked a lot. I can attest to that because I watched this transformation in you and how physically and emotionally exhausted you were at one point and how things changed after that nine months intermission. And I want this group to hear um, how you were able to translate that personal experience into the work that you do. Uh, especially through the eco-leadership program, integrating nature into the experience, but also trying to do something at a system-wide change. Yeah. Can you share a few words? Yeah, sure. So let me see. I'll try to be concise. Um, so the foundational idea is that we are the system. And if we can learn to know ourselves as a system, because all is connected, if we come from that foundation, then whatever action I take, it's going to trickle down in that system, in the wider system, wherever we're making a difference. So that's foundational. I couldn't go back to a way of knowing that was no longer in alignment with what I wanted to bring in the world. So this idea of wholeness and to be whole means to heal. Um, to be whole means to attend to all of us, to my to my whole self, and um, and so the the program, the coaching program that you speak to, Katarina, it's called Eco Leadership, and that was interesting too how it came, the whole, the name even. Uh, it's Eco. It means expand and contract. And there's different ways for it, but it came through a dream. That name came through a dream. It's expanding and contracting. Think of the breath the systole and the diastole of the heart and how we open and close. It's also about being whole because eco means it comes from the Greek word oikos, which means to come home, to come back to our, to ourself. And nature is one way in which we can in, in open up and encounter our, our wholeness. And so there's different ways to it. One of the um, works in which we ground the practice of what we call nature observation in our program is um, comes out of Gothian science. I know, Rich, you're familiar with that. Um, and um, in in principle, what Goethe did said that we're not we're not uh, separate from 
the object. This, the, this plants that I'm paying attention to, they're me, they're part of me, they're subject to. And, and this goes back to the whole Einstein dilemma and question since the Copenhagen conference, which is like he really wanted to unite the observer with the observed. And Goethe brought that, he brought it through building this aesthetic, through the aesthetic qualities and capacities and engaging in nature in a way that it, it brings about their true voice um, through a process he called delicate empiricism. It is what we know, but we know it through our wholeness. And so the students in our program, they engage, they engage in a practice where the first thing that they get to do is they meet their first client. And Katarina, you've done this for that little piece that you joined us, but they have specific instructions of how to do this practice, but they basically uh, meet a plant as their first client. Instead of going straight to meeting a human being and having that one-on-one -on -one conversation, uh, they meet the plant. And the reason for doing that is because if you can really allow to hear the fullness and the voice of those that don't speak in the form in which we are taught to speak and to say, meaning bringing these other forms of knowing, then we can translate that to our human ways of knowing and that becomes a lot easier. So that's the way some of these things have been translated into the program. And we also bring other things like intuition and dreaming and other ways of forms and that help us to open up capacity. Um, aesthetics is another element and we use the work of Maxine Green. Maxine Green was an educator in Columbia University for many years. And she used to say that uh, if I want to, if I want answers, I go and read psychology. But if I want to build questions and live in inquiry, then I'm going to read literature and I'm going to evoke pieces of art and music. And, and we want to deepen the question because the question moves our awareness forward. It transforms rather than forward. It transforms awareness. It's the question, the intention and the attention that shifts the space. Um, answers are just there and we can always question answers, but they don't evoke uh, curiosity. So yeah, I think that's, that's good. Uh, I want to open it up to discussion, but just one last quick comment I want to hear from you is how you've seen this experience transform the lives of the leaders with, with which you work. And I know we've done a fair amount with U.S. Prisons Bureau and local nonprofits that are helping vulnerable populations. So yeah. what are you seeing is our biggest impact so far? Yeah. Well, I think just that shift in the way of seeing things to say, I don't need, this is significant for leaders to say, I don't need to have answers when people ask me how we should make, what should we do about this? How do we do this? I can deepen and help to refine the question. So that's one sort of in general. A specific example I bring is the, Yes, we've worked with organizations like the Federal Prisons Bureau, 
We've worked with a wider circle, the U.S. Institute of Peace and others. And um, I love this example of this one person, uh, Michael, who works at the Prisons Bureau, and he worked with the coach his first year in the, in the, in the program. And what he, uh, he shared in a nutshell is how it, how this experience helped, be, helped him to become free in prison. I mean, think of that. Now, of course, he's, he's not the inmate. He's serving as one of the factory managers because this is a program that works in workforce development to support inmates to become healthy returning citizens. And um, he did one little thing. He had, he had these little billboards in their organizations when they put all the announcements and things like an electronic one. And he said, it's always annoying, boring, nobody sees that. And instead he shifted that and he put pictures of nature, uh, cats and dogs and things like that that would evoke a sense of joy from his experience. And so he said, all of a sudden, I started... People would come by, inmates would stop. Like one day he said, one guy sit, sat with me and said, that dog reminded me of my own dog. And we sat there and we had a 30 minute conversation. I never connected to this person like that before. For what? One picture. Now it's not the picture, it's the intention that matters. And yes, the picture might evoke something, but it was clear that there was a shift I'm going to engage different with the people in this space. And that's making a difference for his life and their lives. So that's just one example, Katarina. Thank you, Ina. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Spiritual Resilience Podcast with Reverend Rich Taffel. We invite you to reach out to us with your questions and comments, as well as proposed topics for discussion. Sending you love and light. Till next episode.